Nehemiah, part 10. Tonight, the topic is keeping the joy of your calling. Keeping the joy of your calling. And the text is, well, we're in chapter 6 now. Finished chapter 5. We're starting chapter 6. I want to read the first 14 verses. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hekephorim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Here's this great question. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. So it's repeatedly the same same temptation, the same thing. They sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. It's just... Same thing. It's a bit, you see, a bit like Jesus. All the temptations from Satan. It is written. It is written. How am I doing this? It is written. It is written. Five. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, quote, It is reported among the nations... And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, quote, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come, let's take counsel together. And then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will droop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple? He knows he's not supposed to go into the temple. He's not a priest. What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because of Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Boy, they paid this guy money. If you could come up with a really good prophecy against Nehemiah, here's a hundred bucks. It's a beautiful thing when you see the kingdom of God working like that, isn't it? For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. It's interesting, eh, this prophecy. Go into the temple, get this, and it's and he recognizes God's word, and he can measure. This prophecy is a bunch of baloney. 
you know how many churches would not have the nerve to say that if someone stands up and gives a prophetic word? For this purpose he was hired, 13, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nodiah, and to the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. What a text. You feel like you're reading the script to a soap opera. All these ingredients. I want to take two Sundays on this subject, keeping the joy of your calling. It's a great theme. I want to talk to you. You're the ones that are here. I want to talk to you about your calling as a builder, a role model, a leader in some part of the church, a leader in your home, your sphere of influence. That's what this passage is all about, doing the things God has called you to do. And the point of the passage isn't complicated. Sooner or later, it is the enemy's plan to thwart the role of leadership that God has given you in whatever sphere that might be in his kingdom. That's what this is about. And I don't just mean leadership in the obvious sense. I'm not just talking about pastors and board members and department heads as such. I'm I'm talking about those things plus any area where you take responsibility in the body of Christ, your sphere of influence, the places the places you're trying to make a difference for God. Talking about your Christian education class, the Bible study you attend, your work in your home, try and lead your family into deeper life in Jesus, the way you work at the office and try and show people the way of the Father. I'm talking about your calling as Christ's ambassador and the effort you put into making a difference for him. And the point is this. Listen, none of that effort is going to remain unchallenged by the enemy. I don't care what your sphere of influence is. I don't care where you're putting in effort in the kingdom in that broad sense. I don't care where you are at. None of what you're doing will be unchallenged by the enemy. Peter wasn't the only one the devil desired to sift like wheat. I want to read you a text, and then I want to talk to you about what you might not have noticed about the text. These words you surely know. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Paul is talking about this process, this pushback that comes from the enemy and all the things we try and do for Christ. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Most people don't even believe that exists. Therefore, says Paul, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You're on the go, working peace in the kingdom. You're working at it. You're going, feet moving. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. They're going to come. The darts from the evil one are going to come. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Now, you know that passage. I get it. This process is constant, Paul says. It happens all the time in all of our lives. But what I want to point out is, whatever opposition you face from the devil day by day in your Christian walk, it's it's intensified a thousand times when you determine, like Nehemiah in our text, that there's something that really needs to be done for the Lord. And you, you just have that sense of calling. It comes to believers. Something you can do, something that will be a force against darkness long-term down the road. And Paul's point is, never ever think that the enemy is going to rest while you're trying to regain ground or trying to rebuild like Nehemiah, rebuild what's been torn down, move ahead to new levels of maturity in the ways of God. Whenever you you initiate something, the enemy will oppose. When you initiate, the enemy will oppose. If you're not doing anything, you'll be fine. You're of very little interest to the devil if you're not doing anything. It's the work of God that he hates. And and it's the determined heart that he resists. He hates to see the kingdom of God expand. Think of Nehemiah. Here's what the enemy hates. Builders. Builders of anything for the Lord. That's when those flaming darts come. I want to look at some key principles from this sixth chapter of Nehemiah. I've got three points, really. I'm just going to start them today. We'll see how how far we uh, roll. Point number one. Attacks will come on you personally as a leader. This is what makes Nehemiah 6 quite different in our study. Up until now, it's the workers that have been harassed. What are these feeble Jews doing, 4-2? Then the quality of their work, 4-3. If a fox climbs up on that wall, it'll fall over. Now, under Nehemiah's leadership, none of those things stop the work. So a third level of attack is employed. They begin to attack Nehemiah himself, his motives, his character, his integrity, his honesty. Just be sure of it. If you're trying to do something for the Lord, if you're trying to do something for the Lord, and I'm going to give you just random illustrations. The enemy will arrange and orchestrate people to tear you down each step of the way. Expect it. Plan on it. And above all, instead of getting mad at the people, recognize the nature of the battle. That's why when I read those words from Ephesians 6, you know, 
Stand against the schemes of the devil, 611. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 12. Our struggle is against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, 12. Now, here's what you might not have noticed. Ephesians is divided up into, roughly speaking, two parts. The doctrinal part is Ephesians 1, 2, 3, first bit of 4. It's all theology. He gets to the last part of 4, 5, and 6, and he's writing about marriage, husbands and wives, work, the home, the very, very practical applications of the kingdom of God as they manifest itself in your daily routines, where you go, the things you're called to do. And it's in those areas where he starts to talk about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Because you can spin out theology and it's a relatively, it's an intellectual but a painless process. But kingdom living in the home. Maybe not everyone's saved. Involvement in the church, the body of Christ. Life in the spirit at work, at your job. It's all in there in Ephesians 6 especially. That's where the devil works most effectively because people don't expect to see the devil working in the office. All they see is a, a nagging boss or a slob for a husband. or a, All they see is a rebellious son or an abusive father. All they see is a lazy worker or, or an unreasonable boss. And, and, and Paul wants to run into those situations kind of screaming and saying, listen, I know, but you're not seeing the whole picture. You're not seeing the real enemy. Remember, remember this all the time. When, when, when some parent comes screaming into the nursery about something that she doesn't like, even though she's never worked in the nursery a day in her life, don't just assume that this is some short-fused person letting off steam. There's more going on than that. You're doing something for Jesus. You're doing something for the Lord. You're fulfilling your calling in ministry so moms and dads can hear something fresh about Jesus in the sanctuary. And the devil hates that. And he's out to take the heart and soul of you. If you're working in that nursery faithfully, there's nothing he would like more than suck the life out of your ministry there. That's the plan. That's how he works. He schemes. That's the word Paul uses. Point number two. Don't always assume that because you face opposition, you're not the right person for the job. It can happen, of course. Someone finds themselves in a role that just wasn't right, and you experiment, and fine, it didn't work out. And There's no problem with that. We're all human. I want to talk about the other extreme, though. Whether you're a Bible study leader, a Christian education worker, blast worker, some leader in the department in the church trying to head up some initiative for Christ in your home or your work for Jesus, remember, once you're a doer, you're a target. Every single doer in the kingdom of God is a target. 
I can't tell you the number of times people will come and say something like this very sincerely. I thought, I thought God had this ministry for me, but Pastor Don, things just aren't falling into place the way I thought they would. And I always smile and I think, yeah, you ought to try this, my job for a little while. Things falling into place. I guess there must be somebody who can do this better. I better just back out before I make things worse. And again, I'm not arguing that there aren't times for people to rethink some part of their calling or task. I know sometimes you can be the wrong person for the job. But I also know this, that, that, that if you're teachable, if you're humble, if you fully desire to serve Jesus for his honor and glory, for every time someone stays in their role too long, there are a thousand times the enemy brings doubt and fear and confusion and drives precious people out of ministries that they could have been fruitful in. Way more often. Way more often. I'm sure of this. When it comes to persistence in serving Jesus, Nehemiah wants to keep building. Remember that, the Nehemiah picture. He wants to keep building. Everybody's opposing him, it feels like. But he wants to keep building. When it comes to persistence in serving the Lord, the devil will tell you to quit far more often than the Holy Spirit will. These are the third point. I'm almost done, not much more. Stay focused and determined in your work for the Lord. There are three tactics that I think are in this passage to pull Nehemiah away from finishing the wall. Three tactics, distraction, slander, and fear. I'm going to look at the first one of these, okay, tonight, and then we'll do the other two next Sunday night. Distraction. It's in those first four verses. Now in Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshub the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hekephorim on the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent that to me four times. And I answered them in the same way. You have to ask the question, why won't Nehemiah go and just meet these people? Everybody loves dialogue. Isn't that the new buzzword? You have to dialogue. It just sounds, it sounds so, I don't know, open-minded and tolerant. What, what harm can come from? Let's just dialogue about this. Sounds like a noble gesture. Doesn't Nehemiah want to make peace with these people who are opposing him? Doesn't he care about loving his enemies? After all, a wall is just stones. These, these are people, flesh and blood people. How can Nehemiah be so heartless? And the answer to all of those questions, it's clear from the text. This is not the first time Nehemiah has faced these people, and he's come to know their hearts. They aren't interested in dialogue. They're interested in stopping Nehemiah from building the wall. 
And Nehemiah knows the difference between people who want to solve a problem and people who simply want to drag him away before his assignment before God. Verse 3 is, is one of the great verses for anyone who's committed to any kind of task for the Lord, and you're trying to commit to it and persist in it and do the best you can with all your might. In the face of criticism and opposition, you should memorize verse 3. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I come down to you? Why should the work stop? Nehemiah knows the goal of these people, and it isn't to make peace. Nehemiah knows the goal of these people is to keep the walls from going up. These are fruitless people, and they can't stand seeing someone committed to fruitfulness. They can't stand it. Make no mistake about it. What keeps Nehemiah safe from harm and what keeps him fruitful in his ministry is just one thing. He keeps his eyes on the Lord and he keeps his hand to the task. You, you need that sense of assignment to be safe and fruitful in God's kingdom. You just can't make this truth too practical. You're, you're trying to rebuild your marriage. If that's the case, you're going to have to hold on to that goal with all your might because it's not going to be an easy thing to do. Like Nehemiah's wall, remember he said it's not going to be built in a day. <laughs> Keeping God's blueprint from his word, never let go of it. You're committed to training children for Christ in Christian education or children's church. It's a worthy goal. Keep it right in front of you. Even when you get phone calls and emails from other people with their opinions on what a lousy job you're doing, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're committed to praying for your unsaved son or daughter, praying them into the kingdom. Don't believe the devil every time he tells you it's not going to work because he'll tell you that a million times a day. Don't listen to those who point out all your flaws as a parent. If you've got flaws and failures, then pray about it and correct them. But for goodness sake, Keep going. Keep praying. Stay focused on what you know you're building and not on anything else. I tell myself this every week these days. Remember, you wrestle against more than just fatigue. What you're doing might feel like fatigue, but it's different. The enemy wants to wear you out. Everybody? He doesn't love you. He's out to wear you out. Even though it feels like fatigue, it's different. Only spiritual nourishment will meet that need. They that, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Club Med can't do that for you. It's great to get a break. I'm not arguing. I got 76 days till my cruise in February. I get it. But I'm learning what that cruise can do for me and what it can never do. When the enemy wants to tear you down, you wait on the Lord until you renew your strength. You keep your calling. Why should I come down to you? I've got work to do. 
keep doing it for Jesus. And everyone said?